0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter. Sharing the story, living the life. For more information go to belmontchapel.org.uk This afternoon we're going to continue our Lenten journey following the story of Abraham and Sarah. A story that we find recorded for us in the Old Testament book of Genesis. In one sense I don't think it's that easy for us to see how following the story of Abraham will lead us directly to focus our attention upon Jesus and the events of Easter and yet there is one story that very directly links and connects the two stories because both lead towards a quite shocking narrative that describes the intended sacrifice of a son. In the gospel story We learn of the events that lead toward Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. And in Genesis, we learn about the near sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son, a story that we're going to consider next week. But what we often forget is that Abraham had not one but two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and that he was called to sacrifice both of them. Before we get to read about the sacrifice of Ishmael, let's remind ourselves of where we've been on this journey so far. In the first of our sessions, we saw Abraham responding to God's call to leave Haran and to travel south towards Canaan. Abraham packs up his belongings, and along with his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, they resume a journey that had been started several years previously. God had made a promise to Abraham. This is what we read, chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 2 and 3 i will make you into a great nation says god i will bless you i will make your name great and you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you i will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you that's a promise that is later extended by god to include the possession of the land of canaan as an inheritance In the second session we learned of Abraham's concern that Eliezer of Damascus would be his heir since Sarah was barren and in advancing years and despite God's reminder of his promise that the couple would have a son they continued living their lives in the face of unfulfilled promises. Then last week in the third session we learned that the couple chose to take matters into their own hands. Abraham had taken Hagar sarah's egyptian slave girl as a second wife and with her had born a son which he named ishmael in response to these events god reminds abraham of his promise adding some clarity about who abraham's heir would be god says this i will surely return to you about this time next year and sarah your wife will have a son now as we're about to read After false starts, after faltering faith and the incredulity which God's promise has provoked over many, many years, the long-awaited event takes place. God provides Abraham and Sarah with a son. If you want to read the story, uh, you need to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21 and read from the first verse, verse 1 uh, to verse 21. Now the first thing I want you to notice about the story is that God is true to his word. Three times in the opening verses the faithfulness of God's word is stressed. Just listen to what it says. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So, the writer leaves us in no doubt that God has not only been true to his word, but that he has also acted in line with his will. The birth of Isaac is the direct result of God's grace. And it's important that we understand the delay that Abraham and Sarah experienced wasn't about preparing them to be good enough, it wasn't about whether or not they were worthy enough to receive the fulfillment of the promise. Isaac was simply a gift of God's grace. So however strong or otherwise our faith may be, it is never the basis on which God works in our lives. Grace precedes faith. That is true of our personal salvation. The saving faith in Jesus, which God grants as a free gift, is itself an evidence of God's grace. So when Isaac was born, it was in God's time. More faith, isn't something that we need to have in order for us to see God at work in our lives and in the lives of others? We are called simply to take God at His word and trust Him to work out the time scale. We are called to trust whilst we wait. But this new arrival into the close knit family unit provides not only joy and laughter, but also jealousy and rivalry look again at the verses if you will, from verse 8 to 10 the child grew was weaned and on the day that isaac was weaned abraham held a great feast but sarah saw that the son who hagar the egyptian had born to abraham was mocking and she said to abraham get rid of that slave woman and her son for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son isaac and so there's a problem. And the problem isn't really hard for us to imagine. We may have experienced similar situations where favoritism and rivalry have resulted in familial dispute. Ishmael, who is by this time, of course, a teenager, he's the son of a slave, now finds himself displaced by Isaac, who is now the center of attention. No longer has Ishmael any hope of being Abraham's heir. His hopes, his aspirations, have been dashed and sarah who has endured ishmael's presence along with his mother hagar for many many years now seizes the opportunity with both hands she insists that abraham get rid of that slave woman verse 10 abraham quite rightly is distressed after all he has all of the natural ties of love and affection a father has for his son and in his distress god speaks to abraham again he reminds him of the promises that he had already made in chapter 12. That not only would God make you into the great nation, but that also all people on earth will be blessed through you. So in a sense, this was the working out of something that God had already revealed to Abraham. God demonstrates his faithfulness by reminding Abraham of the promise he made and applying it to the problem that presents itself. The result is that Hagar and Ishmael were forced to pack their bags and leave the homestead with very little provisions and an uncertain future. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, the end of the story provides us with a remarkable picture of God's compassion. Although in covenant terms Ishmael is rejected, he's not ignored. The story reminds us that God is at work even within the brokenness of our lives. Even some of our worst decisions, those times when we have wandered away from God and allowed our frustrations to lead directly to us making some pretty awful mistakes, may not lead to situations that are as irredeemable as we might think. Almost immediately after Hagar and Ishmael have been evicted from the household of Abraham and Sarah, God pours out his blessing on them. They quickly came to the end of their meagre provisions, as we've read. But that doesn't mean they've come to the end of God's concern for them. God hears Ishmael's cry for help, and God's response is one of hope. Listen again to what God says to Hagar. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And when Hagar opens her eyes, she sees a well. Her and her son's immediate need for a drink are met by the abundant provision of water from a well. Notice then that this isn't a quick fix, but it's a long-term solution. And as we read on, we see that God's presence is also long-term as well. Verse 20 says God was with the boy as he grew up. Each divine initiative towards the close of this story provides a step out of want and despair into an experience of God's provision and presence. Hagar and Ishmael, contrary to what they must have thought, weren't being sent out into the unknown without care and concern. In the place of an empty water skin, God provides a well. In the place of certain death, God gives hope for the future. Uh, Some of you may have seen the TV series Lost. Uh, That series tells the story of a group of survivors learning to live in community on a remote island, thrown together by virtue of being the only survivors of a plane crash. In the early part of the series, as they work together to ensure mutual survival, they're under the impression that they are the only people on the island. That turns out not to be the case, since there is another group living on the far side of the island, A group the survivors choose to call the Others. As the story unfolds, the Others are thought to be a constant threat. They are misunderstood, they are mistreated, they are ostracised. If anything bad happens on the island, it's habitually considered to be the fault of the Others. Our reading of Genesis chapter 21 gives us an opportunity to stop and think about those we might view as other. Sarah's reaction to Hagar and Ishmael's otherness is told in sharp contrast to God's attitude towards them. Whenever we choose to use the word we, we consign a whole lot of people to the category they. We is both a word that includes and excludes. And it's easy to cast ourselves as part of the in-group and to exclude everyone else, to label them as others so let me ask you a question a moment who is it that you and i categorize as others who are the they in the story of our lives who are the they in the story of this community this church here at belmont one of the important takeaways i think from this particular story is that we need to allow the story to serve as a reminder that despite all kinds of divisions within our world and within the society that we live, we share with everyone else a common humanity. This is a story about family in its broadest terms. It's a story about God's universal family. It's almost inevitable, isn't it, that there will be tensions of one kind or another within every family unit arguments and disagreements, hurts and jealousies, all that lead to the othering of certain members of the family. The language becomes confrontational between them and us. We become more exclusive and less inclusive. We take sides and erect barriers. We apply labels and create division. In societal terms, we see instances of othering all around us whether it's the result of ethnic heritage or social standing or sexual preference. And this othering leads to separation, mistrust and even fear, all of which stands in marked contrast to Christ's attitude that we read about in the Gospel narrative. Near the start of Jesus' ministry, Luke records the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, those who consider themselves to be chosen. The religious leaders sought to challenge Jesus' attitude towards who they, the chosen, considered to be the others, and as such unworthy of concern. Luke writes this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. but sinners to repentance.